Hello to any and everyone who may be listening to this podcast. If you found yourself here, my name is Dustin Oliver. This is American Youth. Uh, so I first off want to say, if you're listening to this episode maybe a couple of weeks ahead, or if you haven't seen Game of Thrones yet this past week, uh, I just want to say, the only thing I'm going to say, I'm not going to spoil anything, that I named my dog Arya after Arya Stark two years ago. And I just want everyone to know that. That's all I have to say. If you've seen the episode, you get it. If you haven't seen the episode, bless your heart. You need to catch up. Anywho, so today, this talk that I'm having today is really, really cool. It was the first interview that I did that I actually traveled to. So I've done interviews where I've gone and met with people at their places. And we've met at a central location where they've come to my place. And so this one was pretty cool. I, I'm talking to Will Pugh of Cartel. And if anybody knows Cartel, Cartel is an amazing, amazing band. If you don't know them, you definitely need to check them out. Go on your Apple Music, go on your Spotify, go on your whatever, iTunes, anything, and look up Cartel. They've got some really, really solid albums, really, really solid music. And so Will Pugh is the lead singer of the band. He's the one you hear when you are listening to the songs. <laughs> and... Um, so he, I, I reached out to him and I emailed him and uh, was like, hey, would you be interested in doing the podcast? Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he responded back and was like, yeah, totally. I'll totally do it. And at first he had mentioned doing it remotely where we would, I would interview him like over the phone or over Skype or something like that. And I was like, well, on this podcast, I think it's really, really important for me to actually sit down with people in person and talk to them and meet them in person. I think it just kind of adds to like the conversation. It makes it more personable. And I said, would that be okay? And he was like, yeah, if you don't mind traveling here, then yeah, because he lives in Nashville. So I made it a trip with a friend of mine. I booked an Airbnb and I was like, we're going to go out. I'd never been to Nashville before. I was like, we're going to go out to Nashville and we're going to get in town. We're going to like go out and have a fun night. And then we'll wake up and we'll do this interview and we'll come back home. And so that's what we did. It was really, really cool. It was a really awesome excuse for me to get to go and see Nashville and kind of see what the shebang is about, see what everyone's talking about. And I think I kind of get it a little bit now. Um, but no, this conversation is totally, totally, really, really fascinating, I think. If anybody's listening to this and they've ever considered going into the music industry or they've ever thought about being a singer or getting in a band or anything like that, this conversation is a really, really good one to listen to. Uh, Will and I talk about the industry of music, the business of music, what it's like to play a show, what it's like to go out on stage, what it's like to kind of work behind the scenes, what it's like working with MTV, working with a lot of different interviewers and publicists and all this cool stuff. It's kind of a look into this whole world that I've been super curious about. And we even talk about some of his music and stuff on here. So if you're a longtime Cartel fan and you're checking in or if you're checking in, because you want to know what it's like in the music business, or if you're checking in because you like the podcast and you're just listening to what this week has to offer, I think this is a pretty good one. Uh, and I want to definitely say thank you to Will for doing the show because I, I was really nervous. I was like, I don't think he's going to do it. I remember listening to Cartel all the time, constantly, and I was listening to it a lot recently. I've been listening to their albums, and I thought, oh my God, wouldn't it be great if I could get Will Pugh the lead singer of Cartel, to come on the podcast and talk about Cartel and talk about music and talk about the business and talk about everything. We don't talk just about the band. We talk about a lot about the business and a lot about a different couple a couple of different sides of uh, music in the industry. 
And so he agreed to do it, which was crazy. So Will, thank you so much for doing it. He was super nice. We did take a picture together after the interview, but Will, I'm sorry. I love you. Neither of us look good in that picture, so I cannot post it anywhere. So I'm so sorry. If you want the picture, I'll send it to you, but I will crop myself out because uh, it just I didn't think it was very flattering. Anyway, uh, this is it. I'm going to get right into it. This is my conversation with Will Pugh of Cartel this week on American Youth. Yeah, I was looking it up, and I, we, we just talked about it, but I want to say it on here, that my mom went to the same high school that you did. Graduated, well, I'm not going to say. She'll get pissed at me if I say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm old too, man. It's cool. But, um, but yeah, no, so that's weird. And I didn't know that before. And like I knew that you guys were from, Con- that the band was from Conyers, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that it was like, it's just like, it's just a small world. Because um, I, like, loved, like, love you guys. Um let me see. So you didn't know we were from Conyers when you started listening? Well, I think, okay, so I think everybody had, hey, Will, thank you for coming on, <laughs> Will Pugh. Um, so I um, I had a lot of friends, okay, so you know everybody has that friend that's like, oh, yeah, my brother knows so-and-so from, like, Cartel, or my, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's, like, with any band, like, that's from a certain area. It's right, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, Oh, well, uh, Cousin John knows so-and-so, so we were, you know, it's just like right. a thing like that. So I always heard things like that. It's like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like I always knew, like, things about, or somebody that knew somebody that's like, oh, so-and-so knows the drummer, and so-and-so knows the, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like the, uh, the wild card there just because, like, none of my extended family has anything to do with Conyers other than the fact that oh, really? I grew up there. <laughs> um, so all those other guys have plenty of people that they, um, you know, grew up with and that, lived there and all that stuff. Yeah, that know, like, everybody that are there. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. And siblings, and I didn't have any, so, you know, it's all that. So you're the one that, you're the mystery. I'm the mystery. No, that makes you even, like, I think that it's, like, more appealing because it's like, oh, we don't know about him, Yeah. you yeah. know? Um so let, let, I, I want to talk about like your journey in music. Sure. Um, and we're sitting in this like studio, which is like really really cool. Um, and there's like a lot of pretty stuff on the wall. I see like the Cartel record. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you're in a band called Cartel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if anyone's listening that hasn't heard Cartel, what a what are you doing? Um, and B like you should definitely go check it out. I think like the albums are, it's like it's just like a pretty solid catalog. Um, so like as a kid, I want, I'm not musical at all. So like, I wonder as a kid what it's like kind of coming up and realizing like, oh, I have like a a skill for music. Like I kind of have like a talent or like a passion for it. Yeah. Like how did music affect you as a child? Did you, do you think you heard music maybe differently than like somebody else would who wasn't necessarily as into it? it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to tell just because when you're a child and kind of getting that sort of musical, uh, intuition if you will like it's you you don't really know how to explain it but like looking back on it I can see like all right well like I I kind of can trace the path of how I got into this especially like the songwriting front because I mean you know playing an instrument is different from songwriting so 
um, I think I kind of got the bug where like my mom listened uh, to well. Atlanta people will know this, but it was a station called Peach 94.9, which I think is a country station yeah, now. Yeah, now it's 94.9 The Bull. Yeah, 94.9 The Bull. I don't, um, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I mean, what? I love it. But it was basically like a soft rock station back in uh, like the 80s and 90s, probably early 2000s too. I'm not sure when it transitioned, but, um, you know, so, you know, they played The Journey, The Genesis, and, you know, yeah. Kenny Loggins and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, can we cuss here? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. You whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, uh, you know, what I would find myself doing is like, I don't know if it was just like listening to the songs in the background, like subconsciously, but as you know, I, it's not like you could, you know, someone could play a song and be like, oh, I know all the words to this song. Like I could now, like, you know, you play whatever, it doesn't matter. But, um, I would find myself sort of being like, you know, they would have, you know, like, um, I don't know, baby, I love you. And that's what I'm going through. Like, I would know like that, that going through was the line that was coming like kind of getting a yeah. sense of the rhyme and like how like certain words would come like just naturally um and i think like the fluidity of lyrics and melody sort of like in how like it, it's not something i have to try to do now i'm not saying like i'm you know great at it it's just like it it's not hard for me to do yeah that because i think like i learned from listening to all that music um growing up and just sort of kind of started to get a hold of it. And then when I started, you know, being able to sit in the back seat and have my, my Sony Walkman and, yeah. <laughs> and, listen, and listening to my own music, mm-hmm. um, then I was able to like actually start to develop some music taste. And then obviously like, um, when that transitioned out of just like, I mean, I don't forget what, I think probably the first CD I actually owned was like boys to men too. Oh, iconic. Yeah, dude. It was so good. Yeah. Um, that record still holds up. Um, but then, like, you know, start kind of sort of, you know, I thought probably, we were probably like 12 or 13. Like, so some of my friends are like, dude, have you heard Nirvana? I'm like, what? You know, because <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I was, I was born in 84. So, you know, 12, 13, I was hitting around like 96, 97. I think I remember, well, actually, probably earlier than that, because I remember like having already listened to Nevermind and been all into that record before Kurt. Uh, killed himself so it was yeah so I was kind of like somewhat into it then but then like when grunge happened for me like yeah. that's what really so, like, yeah you were really really a part of that whole like movement right like you were growing up like right when that was happening yeah yeah so I mean like the 90s era is like you know what baby boomers look at like the 60s and like the Beatles and yeah. all that sort of stuff like the 90s is that to me like yeah. I feel like that same connection of like dude no, it's never gonna be as good as the 90s was for me musically yeah. you know um like smashing pumpkins and then like it kind of all coincided where you know like my dad got me an acoustic guitar off this guy from church and mm-hmm. like didn't know how to play it the action was terrible so like my fingers just killed and I was like this sucks you know yeah um and it just kind of sat there because uh, I started playing um, trumpet in fifth grade, um, so I was like uh, ten, I guess, um, and then I got braces and that ruined trumpet playing. Oh, no. So I was like, "Well, can't do that anymore." Yeah, um, I got pretty decent at trumpet. I mean, by no means good, but decent. Um, and when he got me the acoustic guitar, like then it, I was like, "Okay, this is cool, but it hurts. I can't play this." And then I wound up like getting an electric, like working with him during the summer because he uh, he was a concrete contractor. So 
I would go out and work with him, quote unquote. And yeah. When you say work, do you mean like stand there and watch while he worked? Well, he so he was like he owned it. Okay, so okay. like he he was working, but in a far different capacity than like the guys working for him, who were the dudes actually digging in the dirt. You yeah. Know? Um. So, uh, I was you know helping. You know, I yeah. would like no. I just asked because things. my like my my dad would be like, yeah, you're gonna come work with me today, blah blah, and, and that would literally there. be me standing there watching him. Like, he passed me this, mm-hmm. passed me that. Oh, it was a lot yeah. of that, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. But you know, it was like eight bucks an hour, and I was like, "I'm rich, dude! Yeah. I make sixty bucks a day." So I basically, like, you know, did that for two or three weeks, and you're just trying to mm. teach me to save up and buy my own stuff, you know. Uh, so I saved up and bought like an Epiphone Les Paul for like three hundred and fifty bucks or something like that. And electric's much easier on the fingers to learn how to play, and also distortion. So mm-hmm. like, you know, I that hit right around the time like three eleven self titled. Um, was out uh, the blue album, um, Smashing Pumpkins, Infinite Sadness, you know, like uh, Radiohead, you know, all that stuff. So I was just like, oh my god! So like, yeah. kind of that explosion of music combined with me just starting to learn how to play guitar mm-hmm. and try to figure out, you know, how to play some of these songs, which is impossible when you're a beginner because those dudes are insane. Um, it was just, it was just a lot of fun, and I think that's what initially like set me on the path. Was just like a constant like I really like I really enjoy doing this makes me feel good yeah um and then you're just li- so you're in this era are you just listening to music all the time like that's all you're doing pretty much yeah I mean it would it would be you know I would be riding around with my parents or whatever like going back and forth from somewhere and it's like as soon as I get in the car what CD am I listening to music's yeah. on and you know they're listening to whatever but I got my headphones on in the back seat you know um kind of singing along like learning the words I'm sitting there with a booklet and like listening to the song and like learning the words as I go you know yeah. Um, it's a, I'm sure people nowadays, like, it's a far different experience because they're having mm-hmm. to, like, look up the lyrics on Apple Music or whatever. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, but, like, for me, that was, like, part of the magic. It's like, you have this thing in your hands. I've got my CD booklet, you know, and, like, you got all this stuff. And... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for a second, I was, like, CD booklet. Like, I was thinking of a book. No, I know. It's got all the, it's all your CDs are in it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, my sister had one in her car. And yeah. I, I had one, too. And then you I still just, have it. You do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then it. you, like, you go through and you're just kind of picking it out. It's like the, the 90s version of, like, scrolling. Yeah. I guess it would be like that. Yeah, my wife is like, when are you going to get rid of that? You don't even listen to CDs anymore. I was like, that is history yeah, for me. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> like, that's no. sacred. Yeah. Um, so you, when you, you start developing, like, these abilities or not abilities, but, like, you start kind of realizing this passion, mm-hmm. when did you decide, like, did you ever have a point where you're like, I'm going to do that? Was there ever like a moment where you were like, that's what I'm going to do? I, I wouldn't say it was a moment necessarily. I think it was just like a period of time where I started, like when I started writing my own songs, which is around like probably freshman year, eighth grade freshman year of um, high school. And that, you know, when I started putting my own songs together, as bad as they were, um, that's sort of when I was like, oh, like I'm writing a full song, you know, mm-hmm. like I wasn't recording anything yet. But um, I think that was the point where after I had written a couple and just sort of started, you know, kind of going on that line and being able to learn other people's songs easily or more easily. Because I've been playing guitar probably like three or four years at that time. Um, but that was literally all I do. I'd get home and just jam. Yeah. Um I was an only child, so it was super easy. Like, nobody was going to bother me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. My parents would much rather hear me playing guitar than watching TV or something, you know? Um, so I just sort of, I, I think I just looked back and I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, yeah. 
I, I didn't necessarily think it was going to be a career, but I, you know, cause it's, you know, when you're 15, who knows, you know, you yeah. don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> um, I still had like a college plan. I was going to college for graphic design and all that sort of stuff. I would never really saw that it was like going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely like a period where I was like, I can do this. And I, it probably wasn't until like <sighs> freshman year of college when I was like, no, this is what I'm going to do now. Yeah. Yeah. So when, so like tra- tra- transitioning from that, when did you form? When did you start to form like your band cartel? Like when did you guys start to come mm-hmm. together? Yeah. So we that freshman year band that I had when I was writing my own mm-hmm. songs, um, that was formed at Heritage High School, and um, it was just a three piece, and it was bad. It was um, <laughs> the name was Loaf L O A P H. Oh, that but, was the name of your band. Yeah, but the A was an at sign. Um, so it was an acronym for lashing out against people haters. It was so bad, but okay. it was just okay. I, loaf. Okay, you loaf. did the ph. Yeah, okay. it was it was gross. Um, <laughs> the music, you know, the music isn't bad. Like considering like first bands, like I listened to it. I don't know. It's been a couple years, but I listened to it again. I was like, you know, dude, like that's solid effort yeah. considering like it's the first songs you're writing and you're still like basic, basic at yeah, guitar. Yeah. You know, um, not bad. Could have been a lot worse. Um, but definitely not good. Um, so like that sort of fell apart because the bass player moved up here. Actually, he's a the bass player in the live band for Scotty McCreary. The, the oh cool, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he went to Belmont. Like he's a music nerd, like all that stuff. So he's he's super good. Um, but uh, we sort of transitioned into like the group of friends, which it, it, this is a complicated story. Like to all of the people that were around it, like it doesn't. It's just natural, like, oh, yeah, it was those guys. But there was, like, 14 or 15 of us that were all, like, into, like, the underground music scene and stuff like that. I didn't know anything about it at the time. They were heavily into it. Um, And this one guy who wasn't in one of the bands that was part of that 14 or 15-person group, um, he played guitar, and he saw us play at Heritage, like, pep rally or something like that. It was, like, outside the school, like, after school one day during homecoming. And uh, he was like, hey, like, you guys need a lead guitarist. You need another guitar player, obviously, because there's only one, and we weren't mm-hmm. Blink-182. Um, so uh, he joined the band, a guy named Jake Jones, who actually lives here in Nashville as well. Um, and that kind of got me into that group, which sort of, like, brought me into the underground music scene that I had, enough, like, no awareness of whatsoever. Um and so from that, like the other band sort of, oh, well, we changed the name to Last Chance at that point in time. Um, and then Joseph became a part of Last Chance, uh, our lead guitar player. And then Kevin, drummer, became a part of Last Chance. Um, so it slowly like evolved into like what we what I, I call the nucleus, which has been me, Joseph, and Kevin have been in a band together since that time. Mm-hmm. Um so then, you know, like it sort of like we had like a fluidity of members, like besides those three people um, that, you know, it was last chance for a while. And then it was summer's disregard. Um, and then uh, it was that for a long time. And uh, yeah, it's a working studio, people. So you might hear some drums being played. No, that's, I, I, <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty light, but I, I just heard it. But um, it's sort of. We, then we took like a little bit of a break, like when we all went to college, because it was like we didn't know what was going on. And then um, it sort of merged up with a band from Gwinnett called, I forget what his name was. It doesn't matter. 
Um, but the, there was a guy named Andy. That guy's Lee. listening. He's like that motherfucker. Oh, I forget what his name. I forget no, what the I'm name of his kidding. band was. Yeah. Um, but Andy Lee, when he, Andy Lee joined um, up with that group, which at the time was like the original Cartel lineup, that's when we changed into the name Cartel. But like we had been playing music together, like the three of us for you know five years. That, that Who, whose idea was the name Cartel? So um, and, well, and where did that come from? Yeah. So we had a band name practice. Like we had already had like pretty much all the songs for the Ransom EP. Uh, we just needed a name because we hadn't played shows yet. Um, and so we had a band name practice, basically. It was like, all right, you know, we practice Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we were like, all right, next Tuesday, come in with a band name. Cool. Um, everybody, like, you know, write them down, whatever. Come up with a few and we'll just, like, vote on it and see which one's the coolest. Uh, I came up with a couple and I was like, oh, not bad. Okay, yeah. Um, what were some of the ones that didn't make it? There are only two that I can remember that didn't make it. Um, mine was the fashion because it was like that was when everybody was like, you know, flat ironing their hair and like, you know, had all these like avant garde haircuts yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And, you know, everybody wore a suit and tie, sort of, or not a suit and tie, but like a shirt and tie um, to, you know, for shows and everything. It's like, oh, okay, that'd be cool, you know, whatever. Um, which didn't match the music whatsoever, but it was just trying to think of a cool band name, you know? Yeah. Um, and then Andy brought in the name Diamonds and Dogs, which I guess is a David Bowie song, or I don't know if it's a song, but it's a lyric. Mm -hmm. um, I like Bowie, but I'm not like a, a massive, like, I don't know everything about him, but I certainly love his music. But um, that was basically like a uh, Diamonds and Dogs is like the girl's best friend and the man's best friend. Um, so mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, but like still like doesn't match the music. And Joseph was like, just came out of left field. He's like, man, I didn't come up with shit, but um, cartel. And we're like, go on. Because <laughs> pretty much we had the criteria of it had to be simple enough where people like wouldn't like, you know, mispronounce it or like mm -hmm. say it wrong, whatever, you know. Um, short, we wanted short. We didn't want like the sentence long band name to happen. Just personal preference. Um, and then the third criteria, the most importantly, you couldn't make fun of it like in parody or any other you know like yeah, the worst cartel. you could come up with is like fartel and it's yeah. like yeah good one bud you know yeah. <laughs> don't quit your day job that joke stinks yeah exactly oh, oh man yeah. that was good you, you like that yeah but <laughs> essentially <laughs> oh i'm a huge fan of dad jokes um what i was serious i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> like well you know um so he uh he was in economics class and basically was like woke up from his nap and saw um that they were talking about cartels on the, you know, they had written it on yeah. the board. Um, and was, he had the definition. It was like um, a group of producers, like, you know, of a product coming together to monopolize an industry. And we sort of looked at ourselves as somewhat like a super group, even though no one would know it was a super group because, like, me, Kevin, and Joseph were part of one band. Ryan was in a different band, the original bass player, but he had been playing with us for a while. And then Andy was from another band. He was actually the drummer of uh, his band. And so... We were sort of like all combining our talents where it's like, mm. okay, cool. Like now we're, you know, this. So it was like, oh yeah, that match that even like the definition lines up with, you know, at least our, you know. Yeah. No, that that's band. a really, really cool. And when you look, I made the mistake like a, like a, whenever you kind of emailed me back and was like, yeah, let's, um, let's do the interview. I, w the first thing I did was like Google cartel. And I wouldn't recommend anyone to do that. I, I, would, I would just maybe like cartel band yeah, yeah. or cartel music. Because um, the first thing that came up was like, you know, I've got like the safe search off on my computer. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I'm just like, oh shit. Like I didn't even think about it. Yeah. Um, But so when it comes to like putting together your first 
like Chroma, like your first album, mm -hmm. what did that, okay, I don't know anything about music, so what I think about is, uh, you know, did you see Bohemian Rhapsody? I haven't yet, actually. Really? Dude, I um, used to be a huge movie buff, but like, you have a kid and then you stop having time yeah, and then you to stop. watch movies. Um, so like, it's kind of like the band, or it's like the cliche, like the band sitting in a room, mm -hmm. like writing things and then kind of going like, going back and forth. Is that what it was like when you guys were writing like your first album? It's or did you just kind of independently come together? So it actually happened like a variety of different ways for us over the years. Um, when Andy was in the band during the Ransom EP, uh, pretty much the Ransom EP of the f six, seven songs that were on there, because um, we released a version before Militia Group signed us, and then we put an extra song on that version. Um, so I think there were seven on the Militia Group version. Uh, so out of those seven songs, um, Andy wrote four and I wrote three um and we kind of just brought those into the band and then we hash them out like so they can change like a little bit or a lot and most of the time it's a lot because you know I'm not a drummer and at mm -hmm. the time like I didn't have any way of like actually demoing a song out it was just like hey I, I know how to play it and show you guys how it goes and you have it in your head and it's hard to you know get it out yeah so, so everybody everyone comes with like their own individual cre like creative like yeah form of how it should go yeah I mean you might have like a small idea like I think it'd be cool if like this lead you know register this this you know three note melody somehow made it into your part to match with this mm -hmm. rhythm thing that I'm doing because um, I wasn't playing guitar in the band at the time. Um, so, it, you know, it kind of all just, like, came together as a group then. But then Andy wasn't a part of uh, Chroma, except he was he was still in the band when we wrote, honestly. Um, so after that, after Andy had left, you know, Andy and I had a uh, conversation, and it was just like, he was like, dude, like, I wrote like half the ransom EP like you're gonna have to like pick up the slack on writing here and like mm. Joseph was very competent songwriter but I think like a lot of the stuff he was doing like because of the music he was listening to he wasn't really contributing at the time like he ended up contributing so much obviously from like the lead guitar end because like what he does is a fucking magician work like I yeah. have no idea how he pulls half the shit off that he does um, but uh, at the time like Chroma was basically like alright well I'm just gonna like hole up and write songs. And by the you know, by the time we were actually writing that those songs, it was um, you know, we had been signed, we've been touring, so like you literally have nothing to do. You're broke as hell. So when you're home, you're not doing shit. Yeah. And you're just writing. Um and pretty much like would hole up and like come up with the initial like nuggets of ideas. Um, and then we'd be able to hash them out later that day or whatever in Joseph's basement where three of us lived. Um, and we just kinda like Work, you know, practiced, rehearsed, wrote songs, like, but it was very much like a, a team effort, but with like an idea innovator, which I guess was my job at the time. Um, so, okay, this is a personal question. Yeah. Not like personal, but personal for me. Yeah. I'm just curious. <laughs> so, we, we, you said you, earlier a minute ago, you said um, that you guys would like add like a three line thing somewhere or like a little melody somewhere. Mm -hmm. Who added and if I fail that part that's like do 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 you that's know like Joseph. at the beginning really yeah hundred percent oh my god I love that because I w the demo that I made for because at that time I actually had I had Garage Band and like mm -hmm. you know I could plug the guitar direct in and like it would have guitar amp stuff so I could actually play it um, I recorded the demo for that and it was just like just electric guitar you know distorted electric guitar the rhythm stuff and my vocal and then gave it to Joseph and then that was all him. Yeah, and he because I I like I remember like when I first heard that song, a friend of mine, 
um, introduced me to the band. And when I first heard like the album, that was the one. I don't know what it was about that part, but I was just like, damn, like just yeah. that, like that one little like line just kind of like changed the whole way that I heard the song. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit. So you guys start kind of coming into success. Um, when did you like feel like you started experiencing that success? Was it like after Chroma, or was it when you guys were chosen for like MTV's Band in a Bubble? Oh uh, no, it was after Chroma. I think like you know from where we came from, like growing up, you know, in the local Atlanta scene, like when we did our CD release show for the Ransom EP, um, prior to Militia Group even hearing about us at the time, like that was at uh, the old Masquerade and. If, for people not from Atlanta, like the Masquerades, uh, like pretty much the scene venue for Atlanta. And it had three different mini venues inside of it. Um, mm. Or it was split up in three. They weren't mini, but uh, Hell was at the bottom of the venue. And upstairs all the way up was called Heaven. And Heaven was the big room. And we hadn't played that yet. But it was, you know, we go to see shows there all the time. It was magical, right? Um, but Hell was the one that we could actually play. And it was like, I think 400, 450 capacity. It might be bigger. I don't know. But um, I remember that we damn near sold it out for our cd release show and we were like oh my god this is crazy so like yeah. at that point we thought like dude we're doing it um which obviously it was just like the songs like the spirit of the whole thing had like captured some people and they're like oh this is actually dope like it's not just like our friends band that we have to go see to support mm -hmm. you know um like we actually like they're actually good yeah, yeah like yeah this is actually stuff we want to listen to so that was kind of the first moment where we we're like, damn, we're doing it. Cause like we had borrowed money to like press the CDs with like CD baby or disc makers or whatever. Mm. And um, we were able to pay that back. Like right after that show, we sold enough CDs that show to pay the person back that we borrowed the money from. And we're just like, this is sick. Like we yeah. thought it was going to take us months to do this or maybe who knows how long. And we did it in one show, like this badass. And then, yeah. you know, kind of things started picking up and going from there, like getting signed, like, four five months later or something like that um you, was that when you guys it. signed to epic and that was militia group militia group yeah. okay um because they put out chroma first before epic re-released it like mm -hmm. a year about a no actually it wasn't that long it was like seven months later because we released chroma september 05 epic re-released in june of 06 i believe what does it feel like when somebody like reaches out to you and is like we want to sign you like is that the mo like all of you guys? Because I feel like as an artist, you're like you, you're trying to get signed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like when someone reaches out to you and they're like, "Hey, we want to sign you," like what does that feel like? Is that like, "Oh my god"? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 Because um, I mean, Militia Group is a small indie label. You know, when we signed with them, and they had Copeland, which we were absolutely adored. You know, mm -hmm. um, and we knew Aaron. Well, Andy knew Aaron um, pretty well, and so like we sort of like had a little mini bond with Copeland, and that's actually how Militia Group heard about us. Is the Copeland, uh, I guess Aaron it gave Rory from Militia Group gave him the the Ransom EP, the first version. Yeah, and Rory's like, oh, okay, dope, because Mil Militia was definitely more of like indie, like sad bastard vibe versus like pop punk. You know, so yeah. like, we were the you know the red herring there <laughs> like yeah. they're not not the norm um so uh he sort of when when he reached out to us and you know he's like dude you know like he came and saw us play at a uh like a music showcase in atlanta at the hard rock and he was like yeah definitely want to sign you guys and we're just like what you know yeah. like we're gonna buy you a van we're gonna make or you know you get a van we're gonna make the payments um for a year or until you guys can afford it um whichever comes first and you know like you're gonna go and we're like what yeah this is crazy and then you know chroma happened and then epic sort of like kind of stepped in which that's actually like 
I think, you know, from a, a perspective of people hearing a different side of things and like kind of like, you know, the, the roots of it, not just like all the crazy stories, like, of like, oh, yeah, we played this show or that. The, and I, hopefully this is not a tangent for you, but I, I don't think I've ever actually said this in a podcast, like told this story, but this is absolutely the craziest thing and the perfect example of how uh, subjective and lucky it is to get a deal ever. And like the who you know, not what you know sort of thing, right? So we were signed a militia group. Um, we played a show in New York at a club called The Continental, which was like right next to CBGB's. And this guy comes to the show. Um, he had like messaged me through MySpace or something like that. Like, hey man, like I work for such and such label. Oh, I was like, MySpace, sure, yeah. yeah, right. Um, I work for such and such label, whatever. You know, I was like, sure, whatever, cool. You know, sure, sure, bud. You know, yeah. Um, he's like, you know. Uh, I want to meet you when it comes to the show. Cool. Um, so we play the show or whatever, and the guy comes back. Um, he comes downstairs, and his name is Don Rohr. Um, still a buddy to this day. Uh, little did I know at the time. Um, and he's like, man, I, I work for Lava Records. I'm an assistant A&R, um, which isn't everybody, right? Um, <laughs> this is the way we thought about it at the time. He's like, you know, how firm is your deal with Militia Group? Like, well, we fucking signed it so yeah it's pretty firm <laughs> you know yeah uh and he's like well no like you know how you know is, is there a way to like i was like Man, bro i don't know i'm not i'm not an attorney what's going on he's like well we're gonna work this out i'm like, sure you know um so the way it kind of works in the music industry is you have like distribution uh labels so like red music is sony and so like anything under the sony umbrella um from independent labels to uh you know epic columbia all that shit it's all under that one big house it's kind of like if you, you think about oil companies mm -hmm. like you got bp exxon you know all that sort of stuff like but there's all these other little things that pop out underneath it it's, it's similar in the music industry and you have like warner brothers and atlantic and all this stuff is like combined um universal is another um distribution so you kind of got the big three and like all labels that have you know nationwide or global distribution fall under those and obviously this is before streaming this mm -hmm. is you know um physical releases only because that was the only way to get your stuff in stores is to be on a distribution company so the stores can buy it from that list yeah yeah, right? yeah. um so lava hit the this guy's label um was under warner militia group was under sony categorically at odds like that's there's there's no like bridge there right mm -hmm. um so Don ends up like talking to uh, his boss, um, who talks to his boss, and like they love, they love it, and they they hear Chroma. Like I sent him demos, like just because we had them, and who cares? Like we yeah. were a baby band at the time, um, and so we made Chroma and like put that, you know, after we had made it, like gave, you know, they were able to hear it, and like it came out, and like it was getting pretty good. Like I think we sold like three thousand records first week of Chroma, and it was like holy shit, dude, three thousand first week. This is nuts. Mm. Um, and so, which was nothing. Now it's actually pretty decent. Um, but uh, they start, so they basically started this whole thing of like, all right, well, we want to sign this band. So how do we have to sign this band? Well, in order to do that, they have to buy Militia Group out of their distribution deal and put Militia Group on Warner Brothers distribution. Now imagine how much shit this is going to affect. Like every band, every record, every catalog mm -hmm. release of Militia Group from then on will be on a completely different distribution group which is a pretty big deal. It's like moving countries, basically, you know? Um, so 
Jason Flom, who's the head of Lava, which had like Kid Rock and um, Simple Plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was the only two bands they had at the time. Or maybe, I, I want to say Sugar Ray, maybe. I'm not sure. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Jason Flom, longtime music industry player, like kills it, you know, still successful to this day. I forget what he's doing now, but he's killing it. Um, he decides like, I want to buy this band. I want this band to be on my label and I'm going to buy this small indie label off of their distribution group to do it. That's crazy. Right. Okay. (laughs) It gets weirder. So we think, oh man, we're about to be signed to a major label. Like, cause these guys want us. We're going to go on tour with simple plan, which was massive at the, Mm -hmm. you know, this is 06 or 05, end of 05, early 06. We're like, good God, this is crazy. Um, All the while we're on tour um, we had just wrapped up the acceptance tour with Receiving into Sirens, uh, Gatsby's America. No, 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 that was a different tour. Receiving into Sirens, Us, Augustana, Panic of the Disco actually opened that tour. Mm-hmm. Oh, then, really? Oh, yeah. that's funny. Yeah, and then actually Gatsby's. No, no, Gatsby's was the. Uh, I'm sorry, keep that time was a blur. <laughs> um, and like 14, 15 years ago, um, and then when Panic of the Disco left that tour to go on the Nintendo Fusion tour with Fall Out Boy, Paramore jumped on, so Paramore opened the rest of those shows. Oh, nice. Crazy, crazy, crazy experience. Um, you Looking back on it, you know, nobody knew yeah. who they were then, but like, just like, okay, two of the biggest bands in the world are, uh, you know, we're opening the same tour, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and then we went on tour with the starting line, the starting like February of 06, and that was like a 12-week tour or something crazy, but... Um, we ended up during all this time is when all these negotiations and talks are happening. We're just sitting there like, okay, well, we're going to get signed. This is crazy. Like, oh my God, like our lives are literally about to turn completely upside down in a great way. Yeah. And so it's happening. Jason Flom, uh, Rory was like, I want, you know, I want to do this, but I want to do this in person. I don't want to do this over email. Like, can you come out to California and let's like sit there and hash this out? Like, cause I, you want to know that you're real and you're not about to screw us over because we're moving our entire distribution chain to a different company. Like that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, so Jason Flom is on a private plane from New York, flying to LA to meet with Rory and do the deal. Like it's going to be done like within a matter of a month, you know, obviously cause legal red tape takes forever. Uh, we're pretty much going to be on Lava Records and who knows what happens. You know, it's just like, oh my God, you know, this crazy like story of this dude like walking up in this club and telling me he's an A&R, this is all about to happen, right? So the head of Warner Brothers is a guy named Lior Cohen. Jason Flom and Lior just have this like beef. I'm not sure what it's about, whatever, beef. Mm-hmm. Lior, because it's a Warner private plane, Lior grounds the plane in Denver, hands Jason Flom a ticket. I don't know if these are the details, but this is what I like to imagine in my mind, but hands him a ticket, coach, back to oh, New York. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're fired, bud. Get the fuck out of here. So fires this guy mid-flight while he's on the way to sign us. Not because of this. He's not firing because he's trying to sign mm-hmm. us. He's, he's firing him for totally different reasons whatsoever. Um, and uh, the deal falls. But in the meantime... Sony knew about all this. So because a, an official like offer had been made, it triggered our upstream clause in our contract to where Sony had exclusive rights to if somebody comes in and wants to buy. Like the only workaround was that, you know, like Warner buying Militia Group out of the distribution deal. Um, so that's why he was having to do that. Because mm-hmm. um, otherwise it triggers this upstream clause, which it did, you know, by him making that action of going out there 
And so at that point in time, um, any Sony label has, you know, looks at us and has to sign us essentially. Like we get upstreamed because somebody else made an offer. And like, it's either if they don't make the offer, we can jump like straight up um, to a different label. And meanwhile, you know, labels, it's like hedging their bets. They're like, well, if somebody else wants them, then now we're going to jump in. You yeah. Know? Um, so then we had this like whole thing was like Sony, uh, Columbia, Columbia and Epic, which are two labels in the same building. Um, just kind of like moving up and down elevators, <laughs> like basically mm -hmm. figuring out which label we want to sign to. And it, that was our choice. It, you know, they didn't have anything to do with that. But th like that entire thing of us getting to a major label was entirely predicated by some guy walking down in the basement and telling us that, you know, he loves our band. Like literally one dude changed the entire course of our band just because he liked the music. And like, that's insane. Yeah. That, that whole like moving, you know, the man behind the curtain thing with the industry, like that, that can actually be the way a band breaks. Cause otherwise, I mean, like if that never happened, we, I think we had sold like 30,000 records of Chroma, which was great. I mean, mm -hmm. we were stoked, but then like, Epic signs us and re-releases it in June of 06 while we're on Warp Tour. We sell uh, like 80,000 records while on Warp Tour to where by the end of that year of 06, we had sold like 190,000 records. And then we're back. Um, uh, we're, then we did the headlining tour with Boys Like Girls and Cobra Starship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then we breached like well over, I mean, we're selling like 10,000 records a week. And you're just like, it, you can't believe like yeah. this is happening. Like that's that's like the moment where you just like kind of look back and you realize like oh my god it's like kind of being in a time machine because you're on tour like all we know how to do is go play shows and yeah. write music so like, okay cool <laughs> that's what we're gonna go do and all the while this is happening behind us you know behind the scenes and then we you know christmas of 06 you look back and you're like wait we what <laughs> we yeah. sold how many records holy shit you know that's kind of when you start thinking like all right okay you know, because we still hadn't done the media like gambit with Epic that kind of came around the band in the bubble stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's the band in the bubble stuff is where you kind of get a peek of like what all the craziness is at the top of the food chain in the music industry. And that was that was weird. Yeah. So with <laughs> with that, um, could you guys write your second album in the band? Who approached you about like, let's do band in a bubble? And well, first off, band in a bubble is I don't if For someone's listening. Don't yeah, know, they don't yeah. know. Uh, Band in a Bubble is where um, you guys were given 20 days to fully like write and record a full album. Yeah. Um, Not true, by the way. No? <laughs> God, no. Wait, wait is, but that's what they said. Though, yeah, right? that's what they said. Okay, yeah. what, so what, what what happened? I think the Sunset Clause has gone over on this. <laughs> Hopefully we don't get sued. Um, well, don't I'm say it sure. if you don't want to get sued. No, no. It, it, so that's ridiculous. You know, yeah. obviously nobody writes and records an album in 20 days. It's well, hard pressed to write yeah, and record I, a song. I, I, in I broke days. that and I wrote that and I was like, kind of like, how did that happen? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, I won't pull the wool completely back off people's eyes, but no, that's not true. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. you're so basically saying that we didn't write any songs between the time that our record came out in September of 05 till may of 2007 that no songs were written yeah i was gonna say because do you do you bring in songs that you kind of like already have ideas for and then just kind of so basically you just like you created the album in that period we did a lot of we did a lot of work in the bubble like a lot like there mm -hmm. were things like any studio experience like any band will tell you that like when you put a record out it doesn't necessarily mean the songs are finished you just stopped you're yeah. like, all right, I got nothing else on these things. Like, this is as good as we're going to get it right now. Mm -hmm. um, 
so like yeah that was just kind of like capturing the moment of where those songs were at the time i mean like things have even like there's some like evolvement of things evolvement whatever evolution of things even like when we play songs on the road after the records already released like we like chroma version when we did the chroma tour we actually had to go back and listen to the record like how do we do that because that's not how we did it live mm -hmm. after so many years of playing it we're just like because we changed like some hits or do some things you know that um we just had fun with it we were still like you know working on the song even mm -hmm. though it wasn't changing a whole lot people probably didn't notice but it was just for us we we're like that hits way better you know um so we would do little tiny things to it but as far as like that record in the bubble like yeah man like we recorded a bunch of stuff we recorded a lot of vocals we finished a lot of like post-production stuff but nah like we, we kind of got sold a false bill of goods on there like i'll spill the beans because fuck those guys they screwed us in the process but um they uh basically what happened was we when we signed the deal we were told that we were going to do um four days sorry not four days we we knew it was gonna be 20 days but basically they were like we you know you're gonna make this album and we just want you guys to focus on like four or five songs in the bubble and we're just gonna like highlight those songs so it's kind of like you know hyping up the singles that yeah, are going yeah. to be released right um we just want you guys to work on that we're just gonna like you know deep dive into like you guys making music and like you know the drama of like being in a band and like you've got to finish the oh record. like you guys are like no like creative differences and like that is that kind of what they yeah were, just yeah. sort of like as we finish it up nobody ever said like start to finish and so i'm doing this interview with people magazine like on the phone like right before soundcheck of this show in greenville south carolina about a week and a half before we're about to go in the bubble. So we're doing, like, that's when all the media craziness is happening. We're doing all these interviews all the time. And this is the first one. People Magazine, you know, you know, we, all the pleasantries are exchanged. And they're like, all right, Will, so what's it going to be like to write and record an album in 20 days? The fuck are you talking about? Yeah. You know, like, and then... When you're on did major, you say? Well, did you say that, or did, were you? Yeah. Try, were you? Were you? Or were you like, what are you talking about? Or were you? No, absolutely. Your, I yeah. said, what are you talking about? And the line goes dead because what happens in a major label is your publicist is on the phone with, like, he's not saying anything. Oh her, yeah, whatever. But ours was a guy. Um, they're not saying anything. They're just listening, just in case they can jump in. But that's off the record. Don't. No. 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 You know, mm -hmm. like, whatever. Um. Just so we don't get in trouble because we don't know all the, you know, our, like I said, yeah. our job is to play music and write it, period. You know, show up, like, don't be crazy hungover and get your picture taken. You know, like that, mm -hmm. that's what we do. And try not to stick your foot entirely down your throat while you're doing interviews. Um, and so he cuts off the line. I get a call from a manager like, dude, did you not see the memo? No. Shit. Did nobody send it to you? No. He's like, bro, they changed the marketing on the whole thing. Like they're marketing it like you guys are doing writing and recording an album in 20 days. It's like, who the fuck think yeah. that's possible? Like, there's no way that that's mm -hmm. gonna happen. Like, we've already recorded like half of it, you know, like in a studio in Atlanta. Like, what are you talking about? And it's also like- They I were think there filming it, that part, you know? <laughs> like, and I also think it's like a lot of people that maybe don't know anything about it. Like they think like, oh, they're gonna do this and that's gonna be cool. But like, I think the people that know about music and what it's like to write and stuff are yeah. like, that's not possible. Right, yeah. And that's so like, you know, that's gonna change like the perception of, or like, you know, the way people receive the album the first time. They're going to be like, oh, man, they just threw all this shit together. This isn't going to be good. So if you go into something thinking this is going to suck, it's pretty hard to change your mind. Yeah. Um, and for people that don't know, like you can kind of pull the wool over their eyes. But I'm like, 
have you not listened to the music we're making? Like, there's a goddamn orchestra in like a full marching band on a song. Mm-hmm. Like, how the hell oh, do you- Oh, wasted. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you see a marching band in an orchestra at all in the bubble? No. Yeah. Want to know why? Because we didn't do it there. Yeah. So like, you already betrayed the audience's trust mm-hmm. by doing that. And we were under, like, literally- didn't know this was happening and they were there filming all this stuff too like when we were actually recording like most of the the basics of the album right like they were the mtv was there filming it so i'm like you know this like does nobody pay attention to continuity in your whole scheme of things you know it's like yeah um it's like recording like filming the avengers and then trying to package it as like a love story it's like yeah nah, man that's an action movie what are you talking about you yeah know? it's like what are you doing um, so that caught me off guard and I was super pissed. Um, and obviously like the whole, like people's like, uh Oh, you know, so that we had, had to restart the interview and she's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to skip that question. I'm like, good call. Yeah. Good call. We're going to talk about everything else, you know? Um, so we kind of had to play ball while we were in there, you know, it's like try not to elude or say anything about, you know, the recording sessions before or anything like that. And like. But I mean, anybody with a brain that watched that thing, you know, they're not showing any recording being done. They're showing me singing and like some guitars being recorded. But like, where's the drums? Where's the bass? Where's the friggin', you know, like uh, Atlanta Symphony Orchestra that recorded all the strings for those stuff? You know, like, nope, not there. Yeah, because people like aren't stupid. They they would know that that something's up. So that was a, a bit of a a joke but like i said that was part of like the seeing behind the scenes of like mm-hmm. the top you know stuff in the industry like just how they promise you things and then like don't work out and there's like other kind of craziness so yeah um so i, I just want to ask one question about touring sure um and that's it because tour i feel like touring could be there's so many things about it yeah um like when you're on tour what does it feel like to like to go out i don't know if you can describe it but like that feeling of like going on stage and having people singing your songs and like cheering you like you know when you first come out it's like this huge spectacle like what does that feel like yeah it's crazy um i mean i'm a pretty modest person in general like you know, like i don't take compliments very well it's just going mm-hmm. oh, shucks man you know I mean, you know yeah, like it yeah. kind of makes me, me? A little bit, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um so like when you walk out on stage and people are just like ah! you know when you're mm-hmm. you know when we're hitting at our you know our peak that's you know, a pretty crazy thing for someone who's not like, you know, a uh, an attention hog. You know, for some people, you see guys out there just like, yeah, they love you know, it, like, yeah. come on, yeah. You know, I'm not that person. I'm just like, I'm very much just about the music and like, this is sick. You guys are stoked. This is yeah. tight, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, just sing the songs, please. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, please don't do get all crazy Beatlemania because like that, then you miss the point. Like, we want you to listen, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, that, that's, it, it, it kind of, it's great, but it also stings when that stops happening because <laughs> it yeah. eventually does for everybody. I mean, you get, you know, people like, woo, yeah, cool. You know, like Chroma Tour, we got great receptions, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like everybody loves that record. Who's a fan of ours? And, you know, so that, that was like kind of a feeling back of like, all right, this is what it was like when this record was out. Um, but then you kind of start to resent it a little bit because, you know, like you put out the second album and like we thought we like took like major strides musically, um, which, you know, we think that doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You know, it's like that's what's important to us. We felt like we did it. And then it's sort of kind of like, you know, 
more sad trombone, you know, kind of reception to it. Yeah. And then cycles and it's kind of like the way it sort of like peters out naturally, just like fans not being as stoked because it's not Chroma. And I get that. You know, yeah, well, it's like you're thing. you're waiting for the for you. See, that's something that I'm like I try to be conscious of when I listen to artists mm-hmm. that I really like. It's like somebody has a really really big hit. I, I was really like nervous for Adele because mm-hmm. you know Twenty One was so successful yeah. that when she was coming out with the new one, I was like, you know, I mean, it was a good it was a good album, but I was just thinking like, oh no, like people are gonna compare it to that one. I think it's just like a comparison between albums, but. Yeah. You as an artist have gr- like you're not you know you've got, you've done different things experienced different things yeah um so it's just I don't know yeah it's an interesting world like when when you kind of have to when people are comparing one album to another album mm-hmm. you know and also if you're comparing it it's just kind of like you're not going to hear the same things like no. it's good what's that there's a Jay Z line that says um, if you like my old shit buy my old albums right um yeah but yeah so it's just. And I just remember that about Adele, but I mean, it was it was really good. But yeah, no, I like the second, even the third album. I think were pretty solid. My, um, my biggest thing, like my takeaway, which thankfully this happened for me because this is like something I'll be able to like tell my kid eventually that she won't know who it is at all. But um, for me, it's pretty tight. Um, it, this was in '06 or maybe it was '07. Doesn't matter. Um, uh, no, yeah, it was '07. Um, this was before the bubble. Um, we did, you know, Alternative Press used to have that idol worship, uh, series where basically like somebody currently in the scene, like interviews, like one of their musical idols. Um, and they kind of put it together. Mine was Daniel Johns. Like I fucking love Silverchair. Um, especially after they Mm -hmm. went like in the more like orchestral, like crazy, like, you know, their Sergeant Peppers moment, you know, versus like the hardcore grunge that they started with. Um, so I got to interview Daniel Johns and I, I had heard like all these demos and stuff of like their album before and like, well, basically, you know, long story short, um, you know, I asked him, I was like, dude, what is it like, you know, like playing all this stuff now versus, you know, like, cause I'm, I'm in a band. I know like we got a new record coming out and people are going to this cause this is before the second, the self-titled came out. Uh, so I'm like, I'm nervous cause like, you know, Chroma did really well and I'm nervous that people are going to be like, you know play Chroma! It's like, dude, we got a new record, you know? Yeah. Like, chill the fuck out for a second. Like, listen to some new stuff. Um, and he was like, because, like, I had been off Silverchair for a while because they had kind of, like, fallen away, like, you know, out of the spotlight. And then, like, actually Aaron from Copeland, when we were over at his apartment in Atlanta, um, they were playing Diorama, which was, like, the first record um, that Silverchair kind of went in the whole, like, sort of like drug trippy like mm. more experimental vein of music and i was like this is incredible and that guy's voice is like there's jeff buckley and then daniel johns to me as far as like ability to sing mm. and like be his own thing at the same time like not imitating anybody and daniel johns i mean blows my mind with his vocal abilities crazy and then on top of that his musical ability is insane but um so like you know i just asked him this question he's like yeah man like we get a lot of that shit, like, you know, Frog Stomp, Freak Show, like, play this song, play this song. He's like, imagine you write a record. He's like, you. I'm assuming you played music when you were 16. I was like, yeah, I had, a, I had an album by then. He's like, yeah, now imagine the entire world heard it. And I'm, at the time, like, I think Daniel was late 20s, maybe early 30s. Um, no, he was late 20s. No, he... Late 20, doesn't matter. Uh, sorry, I was just like, I'm always like, gotta get the facts right, man. Um... <laughs> 
so he was like, you know, imagine every song that you wrote, which would have been loaf for me, you mm-hmm. know, those, those songs, that's what you got popular on. But all the stuff you're writing now is what people compare that to. And it's like, you know, it's apples and oranges, you know, like he didn't, he was playing power chords. Like he was good, but he was just like, you know, Hey, what I feel for you, you know, like mm-hmm. want you to know that I want you dead. And now he's like, <laughs> you know, singing all this tune in the prime, you know, like all this mm-hmm. like super like orchestral, like beautiful, like, you know, classically inspired music. And people are like, what the fuck, dude, turn on the distortion. Let's go. You know, like to have that dichotomy in your music, is super tough, but he's still like it's still silver chair, it's still the same guys. They just grew up. Yeah. The fans musical, like they kind of put the music in a box and like that silver chair, not this. You know, like yeah. Kind of same thing with the Radiohead where, you know, they had creep and then they released OK Computer and they're like, no, nope, fuck you guys, we're going this way. And now everybody knows Radiohead from that. But they caught a huge backlash. Yeah, because it wasn't. Yeah, because yeah. it wasn't, you know, creep and, you know, high and dry and all this stuff for them, you know. So it's, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, knowing that sort of stuff and, like, hearing Daniel say that, like, I felt sorry for him. I was like, that sucks. And now, like, you know, uh, 14 years after Chroma came out, being able to look back and people say, dude, Chroma, bro, like that was the yeah. shit. I'm like, cool, I wrote more songs. You know, that's tight. Yeah. That's tight, but like I did better than that. You just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, obviously that's me going like, yes, that song is better than this song, but nobody cares because it's not that one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I try to be really careful with that because, I mean, it's just a natural thing. It really is. Like, you can't blame fans and it's not like, oh, fans suck. No, it's not at all. Yeah. Because I do the same shit. Like, I love Coldplay. I think Chris Martin's like one of the best songwriters of all time, but I don't give a shit about Head Full of Dreams because I think Parachutes and Rush of Blood was just like, good God, man. Like, yeah. what were you tapped into? That's incredible. But that's also like when everything is new to me for Coldplay. And I think mm-hmm. that's the way for Yeah, his yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you hear a new artist and then you, so that's the first album you fall in love with. And mm-hmm. then so that's going to be the one that you're constantly comparing things to. Right. And what sucks um, is when it's your first full length that comes out and everybody falls in love with that one, there's yeah. no way to live up to it ever yeah. again, you know? Um, so you, and you have a daughter. Yeah. Um, has she shown any like artistic ability? She loves Moana and Frozen. So what we'll do in order to keep her from watching cartoons is put on the soundtrack so she can sing along to it. Um, she loves singing along to it from like, (laughs) uh, an asshole musical parent sort of perspective i'm like she's got some work to do on some pitch but like the fact that she's three and her vocabulary is like a hundred words like um you're like you're a little flat sweetie but no uh, yeah no i I never do that i'm just like sing it sing it loud go for it but like she loves like that sort of performance like she'll stand on our like we have like a little ottoman instead of a coffee table and she'll like stand on that and like wave our like swiffer wand around and like Like she's performing yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's it's super cute but like she loves all those songs and she has songs that she doesn't like and she's like no not that one we're gonna sing this one Mm -hmm. um so she sings all that stuff and uh she definitely has better pitch than her mama i will say that any musical ability is not coming from her side of the family (laughs) Uh, and she will readily admit that so it's not a burn um but yeah she's starting to show a little bit of that so kind of like you know i'm not like a one of the what they call like a tiger mom or whatever like that's not like my vibe. i'm not gonna push her to do anything um but i would like if she keeps running down that line i'm definitely gonna like be like yo sweetie learn piano that's my Mm. only musical regret is not learning piano at a young age 
because that shit is hard. And if you're good at piano, you can be good at basically everything because hmm. that's tough. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask what if she wanted to go into the industry, but I guess... Um... Hell no. No? No. It's, like the music industry? It's it's such just a lucky crapshoot. Like, mm-hmm. like, I know this a lot more from being a producer now. And like, there's been three bands, four bands, um, or artists, whatever, that I'm like, dude, you guys are tapped in. Like, these songs are great. And like, I just basically got out of the way. I just made sure I didn't screw it up from an engineering standpoint. Like, sure, I added some stuff, but those guys did it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and like hearing those records and being able to look back and like, this shit is awesome. This should be big. Like, it should be signed. And then like, I'm using every last string that I have in the music industry, just pulling it hard as hell. They're like, please, somebody listen to this and like latch on, manager, label, booking agent, whatever. And they're all just kind of like, yeah, it's cool, but you know, like, I don't know. Like, it's so much tougher now. They can't make money because streaming sucks for yeah. anybody being able to make a living. Um, so labels can't make money, so they're really cautious with what they sign. It almost has to be a home run already for them to jump on board. Um, managers' hands are tied because, I mean, they're trying to pull favors from everywhere, too. It's just like the pool got a lot smaller. You know, the piggy bank is so Because of streaming? Yeah. Dude, there's yeah. no money in music compared to what it was. Like, well, I remember that, like, open letter a couple years ago that Taylor Swift wrote. Yeah. No, like, it's, talking it's about garbage. streaming and stuff. Yeah. Um, Somebody has to, like, so, for example, I'll just put it out there. Cartel had 11 million streams on Spotify last year, which is good, but not, you know, it's not Taylor Swift level. Like, Newfound Glory has 64 million by comparison. They also have, like, twice as many albums as we do. Um, but 11 million streams for us turned into, I and mean, basically you get .0038 cents per song, something around there, or maybe it's, like, a little bit higher now. But you have to have 100 streams to make 3 cents. Like, so you got to have 2,000 streams. Basically, I think the way we broke it down was like, and forgive me, obviously, people with calculators, but it's somewhere around like 2,000 streams makes you $100 or something like that. Or maybe not even, no, it's less $10. So like 11 million streams, like Cartel as a band probably brought in around like 11,000 from that. There's four of us. That's 25, a little over 2,500 bucks in a year off of 11 million streams. Yeah. Now you imagine... And, and that's people like, like listening over and over and over again. Yeah. So, I mean, the, we, I think we had like 300,000 monthly listeners or something like that. So if you transition that into like 300,000 people bought every one of our albums, you know, obviously that's a, a, a reach. But if 300,000 people bought every one of our albums, and a lot of them came out after, or half of them came out after streaming started, um, you know, roughly the artist gets around like four bucks, five bucks per album when, uh, or the master holder, whatever, um, four to five bucks uh, off of each album sold. So that 300,000 people times four albums, four and a half, um, let's call it five because we have two EPs. Uh, you know, that would be somewhere around 25 bucks a person. Do the math. 300,000 people bought $25 worth of albums. Mm-hmm. We're doing great like no complaints whatsoever in fact like way over blessed in that sense um but like streaming wise like nobody can make nobody can make money i think like uh i want to say it was jack antonoff like wrote um all about that bass and he released that thing like yeah yeah, yeah. i have the biggest song in the world and my my cut off of that for last year was five thousand dollars and he like had 50 percent yeah i know i was really into fun Yeah, yeah yeah but yeah and that's yeah that's 
That's insane. The biggest song in the world, and he made $5,000 as a songwriter because he didn't have the master. Label made a shitload more money than that. But as a songwriter, he only made yeah, that's crazy. five grand. That's, that's to think, like, if, that's, if that was, like, your income or whatever, like, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, like, we have to go on tour. We have to sell Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I know money. that, like, touring is where, like, the majority of the money goes, especially for, like, bigger artists. Yeah, like, but people the, don't tour because they're broke. Or, sorry, uh, Fans don't go out to tours because they're broke, you know? Hmm. Like, I'd, I'd count on one hand how many shows I've been to in the last four or five years. Not because I'm broke. I don't have time. You yeah. know, <laughs> like, um, I've seen Punch Brothers more than I've seen any other band in the last mm. five years. Um, so it's just like, I don't think there's really that, like I said, the pool's gotten a lot smaller, so it's a lot harder to get into the music industry and like break out like if you're comfortable with it being like part-time and like yeah i mean i know a bunch of people making twenty thirty thousand dollars a year you can't live off that mm. not well no. anyway excuse me um so it's you know it's it's a far cry from what it once was you know even at our peak like we missed out on a lot because of napster and you know people just streaming it off myspace and like now people like listen to music watching youtube like yeah. I feel like a dinosaur. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. I'm like, what happened to the old school, man? Put on a CD, sit in your car, like, chill. Like, you know, yeah. that's kind of where my music, you know, experience came from. So, I, yeah, I definitely affiliate more with the old school than I do the new school. Like, I don't know shit about what's going on <laughs> now. Mm -hmm. you know, really. Well, because I was going to add my last question yeah. for you was who are some of your favorite artists or bands currently? Currently. Um, <sighs> let's see. Uh, I love the Japanese house. She kills it. You know who that is? No. Okay. So she, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I totally. Don't um, she's kind of um, underneath the whole like 1975 umbrella. Just okay. Yeah. The drummer um, had some production on her last record. I don't know if he did. I mean, I, I don't know the the backstory of this newest album that she came up with. Actually, mm -hmm. this was the first full length she's come out with. She had a bunch of EPs prior, but she's a badass. Like super cool melodies. Like you know odd arrangements it's not like typical pop formula verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus done like mm. she does some weird stuff and it's awesome um so I, I really love her although i haven't dove into the new album as much uh as i did her previous eps i just have less and less time to listen to music honestly unless i'm working on it mm -hmm. um, which is a problem <laughs> um uh, i just recently got into rustin kelly um who's casey musgrave's husband okay he yeah, Casey Musgraves just won uh, album of the year. She at the won Grammys. Like everything. Yeah. yeah, she killed it. Um, which I, I I like her stuff too. Um, I'm I prefer like stuff that's a little edgier and raunchier. Mm. But like listening to hers is like a breath of fresh air. You're just like ah oh, yeah, it's like yeah. a mental just cleanse. It's great. Um, and she's incredible in her own right. Um, but Rustin's kind of like that dirty dark side. Um, yeah, he actually calls his music dirt emo. He's like it's not country. He's like it's just like emo in a barn. Or, like, having angst with your banjo. And I was huh. like, I get it. Like, after listening to him and seeing him live once, I was like, no, nah, I totally get that. Like, dude's tight. Um, and really killer songwriter. Like, his lyrics are really great. Um, I'm not, like, I don't like country, really. Like, I get it, and I appreciate mm. why people like it, but it's not my bag. It doesn't set me, me on fire, neither, you know? Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, like, huge fan of the 1975, although, like, um, can't say that I have like latched on to the last two records as much as I did the first album. Mm -hmm. um, the self-titled, yeah, mainly yeah. because I don't have enough. To, I like when that self when the self-titled came out. Like we were still touring, so I was able to like you know I was driving four and five hours like every couple of days. So I just like put on an album and veg out and look out the window and mm -hmm. chill. Whereas now like I don't have 
an full album's worth of time to listen to it. So like I haven't been able to digest it like I did the others. So I give them mm-hmm. grace in that. They, there's some great stuff. I mean, they're experimental and they're like, you know, obviously. Yeah, no, I like that album a lot. Yeah, they're trailblazers mm-hmm. in their own way, just what they've done with their industry. And like, so like I'm a big fan of them just from like a, yeah, give it to them because they're basically independent. They just, mm-hmm. you know, everybody latched on because they were like, oh, these guys are making money. And they're like, cool, we started our own record label. Fuck you guys. Yeah. Um, so kudos, hats off to them. I, I, I really appreciate what they've done. Um, time for one more band. What would I say? Actually, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find it on my recently added albums. Here we go. Are you going to pull it up on your Spotify? No, I don't have kidding. Spotify. Fuck I knew, them. I knew you didn't. I got, <laughs> I got, I got Apple Music because they actually pay a little bit more and they're the only ones not suing songwriters for the new legislation that came out. So thank you, Apple Music. Appreciate it. Um, honestly, dude, you know what's crazy? Honestly. The thing that I've been into a lot recently besides that, uh, this will be a twin shout out. Um, Copeland's new stuff is fantastic. Like mm. really, really cool. And I know Aaron's like producing all that stuff and I think he mixed it too, but it's like really good. Like, fuck yeah. Um, and then uh, Vacationer, Kenny from the starting line. Like that stuff is super tight. Like he's doing a really good job. Um, but a lot of it for me, like honestly, man, like because I'm working on a solo project right now. And so... I'm having to learn because, you know, production is a job. We work, I work long hours and I'm Mm -hmm. listening to other people's music and there's a burnout factor for sure. Um, So getting past that into making your own music is really tough because like, dude, I don't listen to music when I'm driving. Like I listen to NPR or like a podcast. Yeah, because like my ears just need a fucking break. Like I'm dead. Um, So like I just don't like have time or a chance to get into stuff. Um, and you know, cause you gotta learn it and you gotta like feel it out and be like, oh cool. You know, like, this feels right. Yeah. Before you can really sing it and be like, you know, like really sing along to it and jam to it in the car. Right. Yeah. And like kind of feel that like, you know, the goosebumps factor where you're like, dude, mm. this part and just, yes, this is like perfect. Mm. You know, um, it's like having a movie that you always cry at this certain part, even though you know exactly what's coming. Yeah. It still gets you. Cause you're just like, that's beautiful. They killed it. You know? Um, and sometimes so, literally. Yeah. But, yeah bingo. <laughs> um, so like. For me, in order to get back to that headspace of like creative, like writing music again, um, I've had to go back to albums that like turned me the fuck on when I was younger. Um, and it could be, I mean, it could be like Japanese House last EP that I like really digested and knew. Um, it could be a bunch of things, but it's like going back to that and like falling in love with the magic mm. of music again. Cause I feel like, you know, it's like with anything, if you learn how, you know, magic trick, somebody does it in front of you, you're like, dude, that's incredible. How'd you do it? And then somebody yeah. shows you and you're like, oh, okay. Like it's gone. Mm-hmm. And like as a producer is like engineer and like watching things happen, having made my own music for a long time, like, and you know, seeing people have that reaction, like, dude, that's magical. How'd you guys do it? I'm like, well, we kind of fucked around for a while and finally came up with something we just settled on, mm-hmm. you know, like to be able to kind of get back to that like initial spark and like the fire is, uh, is tough because like life is way different now on top of like working and making music every day with other people, helping other people achieve their dreams. Um, that's a blessing for my part. Cause I feel like I can help them and do that. And I love twisting knobs and like all the science part of making mm-hmm. it happen. I'm a huge nerd in that way, but like getting down to brass tacks of like making your own music is where, um, 
it has to be natural. If it's not natural, don't do it. And I mean, I'm, there's six songs that are like, I got to record some vocals for like four of them. Two of them are mixed. Like we're working on it. Like it's to be determined people. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I've really had to go back to like albums that made me just like, yeah, that's, that's what makes yeah. me want to make music. When I hear something that makes me feel that way, I'm like, how do I do that for myself? You know, it's like AS, it was it ASMR. Oh like, yeah, like hello. Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. it kind of gives you the goosebump stuff, like that feeling. But then, like you know, because like certain people have certain voices where like they just talk and you're just like, yeah, that's awesome. It's like a brain massage. Um, but then you're like, man, I really want to do that without having someone else do it. Like I want to be able to do it for myself. You mm-hmm. know, like how do I give myself the goosebumps, the ASMR, and that's that kind of like that's the same sort of drive for me in music. Like when I hear like you know, Yellow by Coldplay. And I'm like, dude, I've heard this song a billion times, but still I'm just like, dude. When, yeah. When you did that fucking thing comes in, you're just like, oh man, yes. You know, like you still get hyped. Like, how do I do that for myself? How do I write music that makes me feel that way about what I'm doing? Like, um, that's what I'm trying to get back to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Will, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Yeah. And thank you for like giving me an excuse to come to Nashville. I've never been in Nashville before. <laughs> it's tight, man. Um, it's yeah, so we like up. went to a couple places last night. We went to this one bar and this girl was like singing and she was fucking like so talented. Like great. and like a friend and I and I friend of mine and I were just sitting down like holy shit, like she's good. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, thanks Will. Um, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I hope to hear from you soon. Hopefully we'll hear some stuff. Sooner than later. Yeah, sooner than later. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.